right, so tonight we're going to be in Romans 13. I think everyone was here last week. Was there anyone not here last week that needs a Romans 13 handout? Oh, Judy. Okay, Romans 13. Yes, ma'am. Yep, you can even keep it if you want. There you go. Did you get one last week? Oh, there we go. Now you got one. All right. So Romans 13, we started this last week. The, the chapter's only... Oh, I'm sorry. No, nope, I was looking down. I wasn't looking up. There you go. So uh, the chapter's only 14 verses long, I believe. And so someone turned the pages in my Bible. Did I do that? Probably not. Got some comedians in the room. Okay. Uh, so yeah, 14 verses long. And so we started kind of addressing this chapter last week uh, with a lot of kind of uh, context around it, not only for the biblical context, but also the cultural context. And so um, hopefully you guys found that encouraging and also um, enlightening in a way. I know that many people have tried to look at this chapter and either excuse away some of the things in the chapter or over-exaggerate some of the things in the chapter. So we kind of live in a extremes with this idea. And so hopefully you guys had a little bit of clarity on that. We looked through the first not, or seven verses, and we're going to pick up in verse 8. So in verse 8 through 10 in your handout, you're going to see that it's talking about for love's sake. So we talked about for wrath's sake. We talked about for conscience' sake. And now we're going to move into for love's sake sake. And so real quick, when we say for wrath's sake, when I refuse to submit to the authorities above me, what wrath am I receiving? What do I mean by that when I say that, that we'll receive wrath? When I refuse to submit to the authorities above me, what kind of wrath might I receive? Okay. Yeah, because he actually talks about that basically human authorities will give you physical consequences, but in God's eyes, you, you're just going to receive the disapproval of God. You're going to be drifting from that intimacy and that relationship. Absolutely. And what might human authorities' discipline look like? They give us a reference in chapter 13. We talked about this a little bit. Uh, there's a phrase there that we looked at. Okay. The idea of the sword, right? This could mean either capital punishment or this could mean just a form of punishment, okay? And so we talked about that, that if we get to the next portion of the conscience, the idea of that, we're doing this, we're submitting to the authorities above me, not just because I don't want to get in trouble, but because I believe if God is over all authority, which it opens up with that, then by me submitting to the authorities that are over me, I'm actually showing submission to God. So that's the idea here. My conscience is clear because I'm submitting to God, who I believe is over all human authority. But in that same vein, we talked about what do we do then when something is asked of us by our government, our authorities, or it could be any authority really, that goes against our conscience as believers. Then we can say, I will respect and honor and, and do all that I can do. But if you're asking me to violate something that violates my conscience before God, okay, we gave you some biblical examples, right? What was Daniel's thing? He was told what? Not to... Well, that was the, yeah, the first part. Yeah, he was offered food. He asked, he requested. Yeah, the, the official decree was to stop praying. And he said, no, I'm going to pray. You go all the way to the New Testament, you see the apostles were preaching Christ and they were brought in before the Sanhedrin, uh, an authority over them. And they said, stop preaching Christ or we're going to beat you and throw you in prison and all this. And they said, 
you must do whatever you got to do, but we're going to do what God wants us to do. And they were beaten and threatened and sent on their way. And they continue to preach Christ. So the part of this we want to make sure we're clear on is when we say, okay, I'm not going to submit to that law of the land because it violates my conscience as a believer. We have to actually ask, is this something that's spelled out in Scripture? Is this something like preaching the gospel, praying, um, reading the Bible? Like things that Scripture specifically says to do or to live in such a way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. I can't put that into my temple. I'm sure. given the duty to care for this temple. Sure. And to me, that, or even the mask thing, I'll just get even narrower. Sure. Um, to, to rebreed waste product into the temple. Um, for me, that may be a conviction. Um, others would find that foolish. Sure. But, you know, that's where I think it gets yeah. I don't know that it's, yeah. Right. So I don't know that I would say it's tricky because here's the, the idea from Romans 13 seems to suggest if you refuse to submit to the authorities above you, you're then at that very same moment accepting whatever consequences come that way. Right. So if you say, you know what, and, and I mean, if we're really being by the book here, wearing a mask is not law. Right. So. But it's been strongly encouraged by the authorities over us. So if you come to the point of saying, I'm not going to do that, then you're choosing to exercise your Christian liberty and say, I'm not going to do that. Or if, yeah, exactly. Or, you know, if, if it was a law and they said, okay, we're going to fine you for not wearing a mask. Then you're saying, uh, now, our government, we said this last week, our government is set up where we can actually voice our concerns. We can petition our government. So right after service last week, somebody asked me, like, the area of abortion. They said, well, abortion's a law in the land. I, as a Christian, don't like that. I don't agree with that. So how do I submit to that law as a Christian? And my answer to that would be a similar one to a lot of things that are laws now that we as believers would say go against our conscience as followers of Christ. So how do we resist that? Well, number one, we, we don't practice it, right? We don't encourage others to do it. We support ministries like the Lapeer Pregnancy Center. We teach people and communicate the gospel, which teaches intrinsic life, value of human life, sanctity of human life. And then we can petition our government and say, hey, I'm going to ask these laws to be changed. I'm going to sign a petition or I'm going to vote in people that I believe would either limit that or remove that law. Um, but at the end of the day, if it remains a law, I don't have to stand on a street corner hoop and holler and try to change it that way. There's other avenues I can go through. If you want to call it like the grassroots kind of idea, just in your community, in your daily life, if you know a woman that's struggling, you have a conversation and you encourage her with more options. So you're, you're not submitting to the law of the land, but you're not also being disrespectful. You know what I mean? So I think there's ways we can handle these things because our government has given us, our, our constitution has given us those freedoms our brothers and sisters in China, they don't have that option. They can't petition their government. They can't do those things. So now, where does that come down to other areas? Every believer has to say, okay, I believe this is what the Word of God is teaching about these things. What I think I find happens, though, is most Christians that I hear 
kind of disregard Romans 13, it's not a biblical motivation. It's a civil liberties motivation. And it's, I, you end up sounding much more American than you do biblical. And so that's why for me, an individual Christian has to say, why am I resisting this request or this law or whatever? What's driving that? Well, it's really inconvenient to wear a mask. It's not really a biblical motivation. So what, what's the motivation behind that is what I would suggest. And so, yes, there are black and white things in Scripture that we have to understand. There's other areas of Scripture that are Christian liberty. Same reason why you can go to the movies and I may not, or vice versa. It's Christian liberty. We can just agree to disagree on that. But that's where I would say, as a norm, we said it in your notes too, if the law is right, then I submit. An example I used was taxes. We may not like where our tax money is going, but I cannot use Romans 13 and go, oh, I don't have to pay my taxes. No, we still have to pay what we owe to our, our government and pay our fee, our taxes. Right. Yep. Everything. Right. Right. Sure. I'll tell you my. Yeah. 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 Right. Right. So for me, this is where I've kind of fallen on the whole mask thing. I don't willfully choose to wear one, but if I'm going to a place that asks me to wear it, I'll put it on. Because I see that as for me, I'm just respecting their request of me. Sure, sure. Yeah. So, but if they, if it's not asked of me, I'm not going to do it by my own choice. But I don't, for me, just saying for me, I don't see it as that big of a deal for me, where if I go to uh, the Mexican restaurant. Between the door and my table, they ask me to wear it. I have no problem with that. Because when I get to my table, I'll take it off. I'll eat my food. I'll put it back on and I'll leave. For me, that minute and a half of wearing it doesn't violate my conscience as a believer. I don't have an issue with that. Um, other people may say that. Sandra, working at the schools, is going to have to wear one all day in the classroom. She kind of thought through that. Realized, you know what? I, can, I'm, I'm, I don't want to do it. I don't like doing it but I'm okay doing it because it's being asked of me by my employer. Right. Exactly. Yes. And if she went in and said, I don't want to wear a mask, and they said, well, I'm sorry, you can't work here. That's where she has to say, okay, I understand. I'm willfully rejecting the authority, so I'm also equally accepting responsibility for that. So to me, that's where I kind of draw that line. But again, I think what happens, and you said this a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, I think what happens in today's culture is a lot less conversation, a whole lot more assumptions and arguing. And we're, we see somebody with a mask on, and we're making assumptions about why they're wearing it or why they're not. And we make judgments on people why they are or why they're not. And then we go on social media, and we declare our judgments openly to why they are or why they're not. And it ends up causing a lot more chaos and confusion then if you just had a conversation with a person and said, let me ask you, what are, what are your thoughts on this? And I think because we don't, I think genuinely the part of the problem is in our culture, I'm not just talking about in the church, and I think it's because we don't actually have a mutual respect for other people. I mean, at, at our cultural understanding. I think Christians tend to, but I think we say that, and, and even it's Peter, right? Give an answer with respect and grace to why you have this hope in you. I'm paraphrasing. But I think we have a hard time with that. We just think you're wrong, and I'm going to tell you why you're wrong, and I'm not going to show you respect. But then we get so mad when an unsafe person does something to us, and we go, well, you're not respecting my, my beliefs or values. 
We have to give respect, right? So, so to me, I think that's part of the problem. I think this is becoming more of an issue. And I really think this is just revealing the lack of respect we have for each other. It's always been there, but this topic is now just showing that. So I don't think it's necessarily accurate to say you should always wear one because that's loving your neighbor as yourself. Because um, that argument's been made too. And I get that argument. And I think there is an aspect that if, if I feel like that's loving my neighbor, then I better put a mask on. Because now my conscience is telling me I need to do that. So to me, I think every individual believer has to pray that through and think through what is Scripture really, what is it actually saying to me? And what does it actually mean? So, uh, moving on. So, Romans 13, verse 8 through 10. So I'm going to need a volunteer to read those couple of verses. And then we'll go through that. And then we got to verse 14. So, Matthew. Awesome. Okay, so in this portion, dealing with submitting to authorities, and we talked about this, it's not just governmental authorities or others. Now Paul actually expands the circle of responsibility to those we must walk with in this world from authorities over us to one another. So it goes from just submitting and respecting authorities to now we should do this with one another. We also move from wrath to conscience to love in our motivation to, quote, live peaceably with all men, as he says at the end of chapter 12. Uh, the idea of loving one another is truly the foundation of the Christian life. Uh, we see this in John thirteen thirty four, and is the fruit for others to see of our relationship with Christ. So when I love one another and I'm loving my neighbor as myself, I'm actually bearing that fruit for others to see the evidence of my relationship with Christ. What's amazing is when Paul says this, he actually kind of summarizes it by saying, when we practice loving one another, there is no need for any other law. That's really what he's saying. I don't need to be told that the law says not to kill because if I love my neighbor as myself, I will not kill them. That's what he's saying, right? He says that uh, the only thing we should owe each other is to, to love each other. Then he says, if you love each other, you're going to fulfill these commandments. There's no greater commandment. And all the commandments can be summarized by saying, Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. Now we know what did Jesus say? There's a love we have for God with all of us, and then it extends to each other. Um, and so we don't need, if I'm truly loving one another with the love of Christ, I don't have to be told, now don't go steal from your neighbor. I'm not going to steal from my neighbor. I love my neighbor. So actually, what am I going to do in love? I'm not going to steal. I'm going to go give them what they need if they have a need or a want. So it's just kind of Paul summarizing this idea. We can actually honor and respect our neighbor's pretty easily when we allow our relationship with Christ to overflow into that. Paul also says in this few verses here, Owe no man anything. And some wonder what does this mean in today's context. Uh, a common question asked about that verse is, Can I borrow money? Can I borrow money? Or is that telling me I can't actually owe uh, another man anything? So for example, could I borrow a loan for a house? Because this verse says, Owe no man anything. Uh, quick summary of that as far as an answer. While it is unwise to take on debts, you cannot pay. And if you don't have to borrow money, obviously that is always better. However, the Bible does not forbid borrowing for or financial legal transactions involving interest. So the Bible never actually says you cannot borrow money and you cannot charge interest. What the Bible does forbid is charging high interest 
robbing the brethren, or failing to pay honest debts. So if you don't have to take on a debt, you don't take on a debt. But the Bible never actually specifically forbids borrowing money or charging interest. It just merely forbids charging too much or unreasonable interest, robbing somebody, cheating someone, those kind of things. Which again, if I borrow money from someone and I'm loving them and they're loving me in the love of Christ, I don't have to worry about them charging me too high an interest. Um, it's, it's going to be agreed. So again, it's always unwise to take on debts you cannot pay. And the Bible tells us it's better to not be in debt. But why does the Bible tell us to not be in debt? It doesn't command us to never take on debts, right? We just said that. So why does the Bible say it's not wise to be in debt? Why is it better to not? Right. I can't be generous the way God may lead me to be generous if all my money is owned by Capital One or Visa or whatever, or whatever other bank, right? Um, If I owe them all this money, I can't actually be generous with my money because even money, if I get extra money, but I owe debt to this company I haven't paid yet, is it extra money? No, it's technically owned by them if I'm going to pay my debts in full. And so, again, Paul uses this reference not so much in the literal sense of owing financially, He's actually, Paul's point is to live free in Christ and realize the only debt we carry in obligation to others is to love them in Christ. So the only debt I owe to someone else is I owe them to share the gospel with them. I owe the love of Christ to them. And that's the obligation I carry. And Paul actually uses that same idea in Romans earlier in other chapters. And so the basic idea here, if I love one another with the love of Christ, I will fulfill the law. If I love my neighbor as myself, which again comes down to depending on your situation and what's going on, wearing a mask, for example, or not, or whatever, that may actually tie into some of that idea, depending on who you're ministering to, who you're serving. Um, Again, if somebody feels that that's appropriate and they come to church wearing one, I have no problem with that. Um, If I was picking somebody up, taking them to the doctor, and they were an older individual, I would probably wear one merely because it would make them comfortable and it would show them love. So again, we have to be careful that we don't just come to these dogmatic, definitive, never going to ever do whatever, whatever, whatever. We have to be willing to be flexible in that. All right. Uh, So next portion, 11 through 14. 11 through 14. So can I get a volunteer to read those couple verses? 11 through 14. I really badly want to call on Abby. I don't know why. I just saw her. No, I'm not going to call on her. Julie. Julie can do it. It's okay. I don't know. I just, I looked over and I was like, Abby's not even looking at me. And I was like, I would love to call on her right now. Okay, go ahead, Julie. No, you go ahead, Julie. 11 through 14. Okay, 
So Paul spent all this point talking about submitting to the authorities that are above us and honoring their authorities and paying what you owe and loving your neighbor as yourself. And I've always found the end of this chapter a little bit odd because he starts listing all these things that in our day and age we would think, wow, that doesn't sound like very good things to do. There probably should be laws against those things, right? There probably should be authorities that say, don't do these things. But I actually kind of think in my own studying this through and reading some commentaries and just reading the context, I see this as almost like Paul's way of saying, like, listen, you should do what the authorities ask you to do. Submit to them. Remember earlier he says, if you do good, you'll earn the praise of the authorities. If you do evil, you'll receive punishment. To me, this is like Paul saying, okay, now no matter whether the authorities say this is good or not good, don't do these things. It's almost like Paul's going a step beyond. Because guess what? There's authorities, our authority, by the way, our government, allows drunkenness. Now, they don't allow drunkenness while driving a motor vehicle, but there's drunkenness that's allowed, right? Some of these things are allowed in the right context. So I love that Paul's kind of going a step farther and saying, listen, rather than take a little bit of flexibility here and get away with these things, take a step up. So you could get away with this and still submit to the authorities, but rather live at a higher understanding of these things. Step up a little bit and make the choice to do the harder thing. So this is why we say that this is Jesus' sake. This is we're doing these things for the sake of Christ. Um, Paul concludes this chapter with the most important and clear motivation for living under subjection to the authorities above us and with others. That is for Christ. Paul is saying that the Lord's return should motivate us in a way that honors him in this world, that we would be found faithful when he comes. And you can see that there in verse 11. He says, and, and that knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. So this idea of like the return of Christ is coming. It's, it's closer than when we started our journey in salvation. And that should motivate me to say, not only am I going to submit to the authorities with a good, clear conscience as a follower of Christ, I'm going to also go a step above and really make sure I live this life for Christ, for his glory. And I kind of put this, I think this might be in your notes, all the phrases that are mentioned. Is that in your outline? Okay. And I just kind of listed them here. I know they're right in the text, but to me, just kind of seeing these phrases really speaks volumes to what Paul is trying to get us to understand. Uh, he says this, Now is the time. Awake out of sleep. Salvation is near. Night is far spent. Day is at hand. Walk honestly. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ. When you hear those phrases, Paul's saying this with much emphasis on this idea of now is the time. We can't keep waiting. We can't keep putting things off. We need to live today in the fullness of what we received in Christ. I love that he talks about awaking out of sleep. Paul says that a lot, actually. Uh, this idea of awaking or, or coming alive or coming to an understanding. And I think we need to understand that. Uh, salvation is near. Put it this way. When you first were saved until now, obviously, the Lord is closer to returning than he was when you first received Christ. And that journey you've been on with the Lord, it's just saying the fullness of our salvation is getting nearer and nearer. Um, notice Paul reminds the believers that there are two ways to live this life, in full submission to Christ or in submission to the flesh. Uh, Paul says to put on the armor of light, the armor of light. I was looking in the Moody commentary, and I like what it says there about this verse. Uh, armor of light would provide both spiritual protection and illumination so that one's enemies can be observed and avoided, including the enemy that is our flesh. I thought that was really interesting, that the armor of light provides 
both spiritual protection and illumination. So I'm protected spiritually, but also can see because I have this light around me so I can see when the attack is going to come. I'm protected from it, but I'm also aware of it. And now the enemies also are aware that I am ready to stand against them. This is, again, a similar idea to the armor of Christ or the, the armor of the Lord. Um, similar idea of just protecting ourselves spiritually from these things that flesh would pull us into. Basically, when we are submitted to Christ as a Christian citizen, we should be the best citizen. Not perfect, but desiring to set an example of Christ's likeness in all that we do within the framework of our culture and country. So the idea is, as a citizen of this country, I should be such a great example of what a citizen can look like, not just checking the box of what's required, but going a step above, doing more, so that my example, my testimony, reflects the glory of Christ. In this chapter, in conclusion to this, uh, Paul makes it clear we are to recognize human authorities as instruments of God's sovereign plan. We are to submit to them unless in so doing we would be in violation of God's word. Uh, obviously, many disagree and debate to the degree we submit. Some have even used this chapter to say that we as believers should not have revolted against England for independence. Um, I believe it's John MacArthur that actually says that he is not 100% sure we have a biblical means to fight and stand against England to declare our independence as a nation. That was a very American, human way to respond. The Bible suggests everywhere you see Peter, Paul, talking about those under Roman oppression, nowhere in the Bible, in the New Testament, nowhere do they recommend or encourage revolt. It's always submit, live in subjection, um, suffer for Christ. Um, he actually says in one place, if you're a slave in Ephesians, right? If you're a slave, then be the best slave for your master. If you're a master, be the best master for your slave. Obviously, Paul's not saying slavery was good, but in this cultural context, it's not slavery like American slavery. This was bond servants. This was the idea of working off debts and then staying and working in the home, more like a butler or a maid type relationship. Paul doesn't say once you get saved, you're free from being that servant now. He says, no, 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 your position, your job, your obligation, your whatever may not change, but now you're going to be in Christ. Therefore, now you're going to be the best dad, mom, husband, wife, child, servant, master, employer, employee you can be. So the idea here is biblically, and this is what I'm saying in this passage here, we don't have biblical grounds to go, we should have revolted against England. I'm not saying it was wrong that we did. I'm just saying the Bible emphasizes not so much the government that's over you, but how you live under that government. Does that make sense? Okay. So like I said before, Jesus, when asked the question about taxes, could have used that as a great opportunity to get people to revolt against Rome. He could have incited a little riot and boom, we're off and a war is off again. But Jesus doesn't do that because in that moment, Jesus' point is, my emphasis isn't on the government that's over you. My emphasis is who's over you spiritually. You can live under communist regimes, free countries, doesn't matter to God. Because ultimately, whatever government you're under, live under that government as a follower of Christ. That, that's the point that he's making. That's the point the New Testament drives home. So again, there's been debate over this chapter for a long time. Um, people use it. We can't have to do this. You don't have to do that. You can do this. You don't do that. I would just suggest it seems pretty clear. If we can submit without violating the word of God, we should submit. That's kind of the clear understanding that I see from Romans 13. Um, so last line here in the notes. Let's pray for great wisdom as we desire to live in this world for his glory. That's really how Paul ends the chapter, right? 
He says it pretty clear. Hey, listen, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. So whatever you do, however you choose to draw those lines in the sand, make sure you're putting on the Lord Jesus Christ, that you're fulfilling the Spirit's desires, not your fleshly desires. All right? Any, any comments, questions, or thoughts as we kind of wrap up this chapter tonight? Comments, questions, or thoughts? No? All right. We'll see this, guys. We'll go ahead and pray. And uh, feel free to hang out and fellowship for a little bit here. We got a little time before seven. And so let's pray and ask God to give us wisdom in these things. Father, we thank you, Lord, so much for tonight. And we do ask, Lord, that you'd give us great wisdom and understanding in all these things. Lord, I know that in our day and age today, even in the church, there's various opinions and ideas about to what degree we submit and how and when and where. And Lord, I understand the confusion. I understand that it's, it can be a complicated matter. But Father, I pray that if, and I, maybe I'm just being simple, Lord, but I believe that if we really desire to just put on the Lord Jesus Christ, to live in a way that reflects your love for others and really, Lord, our love for them, then I believe that we can come to points of understanding where we may not agree with someone fully, but we can respect and honor them. And Lord, maybe even inconvenience ourselves at times to, to think of the other person. Lord, again, that seems to be the point. You talk much more about thinking of others first, putting others first, serving others, uh, loving others, and putting our own needs and wants and desires to the, to the, to the back seat and putting others' desires ahead of our own. And so, Lord, I just pray that you'd give us wisdom in this, Lord, that we'd have understanding, and that, Lord, in today's culture especially, that, that we would be the most passionate about sharing Christ. Because I believe, Lord, there's people that are just searching for hope, uh, that they, they're just full of fear. They don't know what's coming next, Lord. Uh, media on both sides of the aisle are preaching fear and teaching fear, Lord, whether it's conservatives using fear to get their point across, liberals using their uh, means to get, or they're using fear to get their point across, Lord. Whatever it is, we, we need to be preaching hope, preaching truth, preaching that there is an answer, and it's greater than any politician, any human government. It is, it is the hope of Jesus Christ. And so I pray that ultimately, Lord, that's what would drive us. But Lord, as we live in this world, I know it can be confusing, Lord, but I, I truly believe that if we just keep our eyes on you, I think we'd have a lot less problems uh, individually. And so, Lord, give us wisdom in this. Help us to put you on every single day and not to give in to the desires of the flesh, but to follow the leading of the Spirit. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.